0: Start us off with a prayer. I know that uh, we take a few seconds to kind of calm down from break time, but I just want you to know I'm getting ready to pray. So like the Pledge of Allegiance, go stationary wherever you're at. I don't know if that's a thing. Let's pray just real quick. God, we come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for the message that we're all about to hear. My biggest prayer is that we'll have open minds and open hearts and that you will let this affect us and affect the way that we live our lives. We thank you again, God, for the opportunity to be in your word and to be in relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we are now in week two of our series, This is Church, and we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter two, which is often referred to as the minister's manual. Now, as I was going through my studies this week, that name, that title popped up in a a number of places, and I tried to come up with a bunch of other names. I don't know why I did that, but that's how my brain works, but... The minister's manual. And so I was beginning to think, well, how do I apply this to everyone else, right? How do I apply this to everyone else? And when I started thinking about it, I started looking up definitions of what a minister is and just kind of thinking about what my job is as a pastor of a church. And I realized something pretty simple. A minister at his base is a purveyor of the gospel. Is a purveyor of the gospel. Someone who spreads the gospel. And by that definition... Aren't we all ministers? Aren't you a minister? Aren't I a minister? I mean, as Christians, that's our job. Shouldn't we be promoting the gospel? Especially if we believe in the biblical account of the gospel, then how could we not share it? And so, like I said, we're going to be looking today at the minister's manual. It's 1 Thessalonians. It's chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. I'm going to read them all, and then we're going to break them down verse-ish by verse. So here we go. First Thessalonians chapter two, one through 10 says, you know, brothers and sisters that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people but God who test our hearts you know we never used flattery nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed God is our witness we were not looking for praise from people not from you or anyone else even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority instead we were like young children among you just as a nursing mother cares for her children so we cared for you Because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. So, As we start to break down this passage, what are some of the things that we can take from it? Well, the first thing that stood out to me is this. We have to identify our message and its source. As purveyors of the gospel, what is the gospel and who or what is the source of the gospel? Well, in verse 2, it says, "...we'd previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition." Our message is the gospel gospel in the Greek means good news, right? Good news. We are to share the good news. And later in this passage, Paul says, not only the good news of our God, but the good news of our lives. We're to share our stories. We're to share how God has affected us and how God has changed us. And the author of that message, its source is God from whom the power to share it comes. It's an important line in this passage because so many of us struggle to share our faith because we think that it comes down and relies solely on us, solely on our minds, solely on our words. What if I fumble something? What if I don't say the right thing? What if I offend somebody? What if it's not perfect? But the power to share our message comes from God, the author of our story. There aren't perfect words. There isn't necessarily a right way but we are going to kind of look at it and I'm going to give you a basis for what our message should be to people. Now, I think that this can be really powerful in your life when you look to share the gospel. I also think that there's a certain way that we as Christians need to share the gospel in order for it to really have a chance to hit home with others. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, all means everyone, Christian and non-Christian alike. All have fallen short of the glory of God and all can be redeemed by his grace. One of the major problems that Christianity has when we share our message is that we kind of forget that that all applies to us. Like somehow we've done something. Somehow we figured out the secret that others don't know. And we have this superiority complex in ourselves when we share our faith. And people see it and it becomes obvious to them. Anytime we act like we have done something to secure our faith, we are spreading a falsehood. We are in effect lying to others because you know that it's not you that has done something as a Christian. It is God that has done something. That's the message. That's what grace is. And the problem is that we act holier than thou when it's convenient, holier than thou when it's convenient, when we see something we don't like. And then the reason that we stand up for it and the reason that we are so morally superior is because I'm a Christian. But then we struggle behind doors with sin, just like the rest of the world. And the problem with that is that usually the people that are closest to us, and I don't mean like close friends, close family. I just mean the people that are living in our sphere know the truth about us. They see our struggles. They know the areas that we fall short. And then when they see us acting holier than now, mixed with how we behave a lot of the time, they come up with the term hypocrite. And we hate that. But the problem is many times it's justified and we're doing it to ourselves, right? Paul, time after time, when he talks and writes these letters to different church groups back in the day, mentions how they're sinners and then follows that with a line of whom I am the worst. You are sinners of whom I am the worst. You see, the world needs to know that as Christians, you know, you're not perfect. The world needs to know as Christians that, you know, you're a sinner and that you have struggles and the best way for the world to know that is to be very open and very forthright and upfront about the things that you struggle with. And then your message becomes more powerful because then you can teach them how God still loves you in spite of of your sin and your struggles and how you didn't come to your God, this perfect vessel and how even with your God, you're still not a perfect vessel, but hopefully every day you're getting a little bit better. Listen, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I just need you to know that I am part of that. All I struggle, I sin, I screw up. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to follow God's teachings. I don't always do it, To the best of my ability and I need to rely on God for that so let's talk about sin what does that even mean because a lot of people look at us and they say what is sin for all have sinned. great sin's a church word tell me what sin is okay well sin is anything that goes against God his character or his teachings it is that simple and here's the thing if the Bible says that something is a sin it's a sin Another problem that the church has is that we are so divided in this world about what's a sin and what's not a sin. There's a whole large group of Christians. They're very intellectual. They're very intelligent. They can argue their pants off, right? Make you look like a fool, but are not biblically sound. Because somewhere along the way, they have found themselves more intelligent, apparently, than God. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's no other way to see it. If the Bible says that something is a sin, it is a sin. Whether you like it or not, whether it's comfortable for you or not, whether it speaks out against somebody you love or not, a sin is a sin. And we find what a sin is in scripture. I felt a little bit like Dr. Seuss right there. <laughs> Here's the thing. You're not more intelligent than God. I know I'm not but at no point ever make that mistake. You do not know better than he does. So if you have a question, consult scripture. Learn what the character of God is. Learn what his words were. Learn what Jesus himself had to say. And I'm gonna be real honest with you. Logically, logically, all of us are less aware than biblical authors who, in many cases, walked this earth with Jesus himself or Jesus' closest disciples. Why would we know better than they? We look back and we, a lot of times, we have scripture and we talk about cultural context, and I think that it is important to view scripture in cultural context, but. Guys, sometimes we're overcomplicating things. And then people want to look back and they want to say, well, the Old Testament, it was and then Jesus changed everything. Well, no, Jesus changed some things. Jesus changed some things. He definitely changed the process for which we can be in a relationship with God. He definitely changed the process for which we get to experience salvation. But if there was a sin in the Old Testament that somehow through the coming of Jesus was no longer a sin, guess what? It's mentioned in the Bible. Think about Peter's vision in the food laws, right? Jewish custom would say nothing with the cloven hoof for the most part, right? There were certain foods that were deemed unclean. There were certain things they couldn't eat, certain things they couldn't have, certain things they couldn't partake in. Well, here comes Peter's vision. Peter, a Jew's Jew, and he gets his vision saying from God, hey, that's no longer a thing. So guess what? The way that we view it as Christians, that's no longer a thing. But if it wasn't changed in the New Testament by scripture, by Jesus, it's still a sin. Okay. So what is a sin? A sin is anything that goes against God. The Old Testament teaches about sin. Okay. So does the New Testament. But the Old Testament teaches us about sin. The New Testament refines those teachings. If the Old Testament hasn't been refined by the new, then it's a sin. I know I said that, but that seemed more eloquent. So I repeated it in a different way as to sound more intelligent. <laughs> You're welcome. So we all fall short of the glory of God. We now know what sin is. What's the punishment for sin? Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the most important word in all of scripture may be right here, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So all of sin, all of us, we all fall short of that sin and the payment for sin. The thing that we deserve for sin, the repercussion for sin is death. You deserve to die. And when you sin, you are ultimately headed for death and for destruction. But because of free grace I find it important to add that word free because that's not how our world works. A lot of times when people experience forgiveness, they experience forgiveness with conditions. And I'll be the first to say sometimes those conditions may be necessary, but this is not how God is operating in this space. It is free grace. There's nothing that you or I, or anyone can do to earn it or deserve it. It is a gift. And this is why people struggle with Christianity so much because it blows their mind because that's not how the world works. That's not how it's ever worked in their life. They don't understand how that could possibly be because if they were in God's shoes, they wouldn't act that way. And that's when you say, I know, thank goodness you are not God. And you know what, thank goodness, I'm not God because God doesn't operate the way we operate his ways. They're not our ways. And we could try to comprehend everything that God does, but we're going to come up short. We're just not going to get there. And here's the most important part about that free grace that anyone can obtain it. That word all again is found here in Scripture. Anyone can obtain it. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, it's a really fancy way of saying all, could he use three letters? Just saying. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Again, whomever means all. And here's the cool part. He wants everyone to have it because he continues in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And all you have to do to receive that gift is to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Pastor, how do you know that? Pretty simple. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved that's how simple it is once had a person one of those people who's way intelligent more intelligent than I am not afraid to say it we got in a conversation about faith and one of her comments to me was and I know I've shared this here before and she's somebody I love dearly and would still consider a friend but one of her comments to me was and all you have to do is say sorry right and it stung oh it stung and I went silent I was done with the conversation because it hurt I didn't really know what else to say. I wish I wasn't such a coward and such a pansy and whatever else you could come up with. And I would have just answered her with a yes. That is exactly it. That is exactly it. All you have to do is say sorry. All you have to do is confess that you have sinned. And if you compare that with truly believing in your heart that Christ is who Christ says he was, And that God sent him to this earth to die for you. If you can truly believe that in your heart and you can say sorry, then you can experience salvation as well. But that's really foreign to a lot of us, too, because not many of us like to apologize when we've done something wrong. We like to justify. Right. We like to justify. I see just so you guys know, if you're on Facebook and we're Facebook fans, I see your Facebook activity. And uh, keyboard warriors are in the Christian faith as well. And some of y'all like to get after people on Facebook and I see it and it makes me cringe. And, and, and it's not godly and it doesn't represent Christ. And it's just like, I hope they don't know that you're a Christian because that's going to cloud the message. And we'll get to that here in a minute. But, but we have to remember who it is we're working for and who it is we're living for and, and. Again, yes, I go back to we're all sinners, but guys, we're screwing things up. We're making people forget about the fact that there is this God. We're making people turn their backs on our message about this God who loves them and wants to forgive them and wants to live life with them and wants to have this relationship, this eternal relationship The message is for everybody. And all you have to do is believe in your mouth, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. You could also believe it in your mouth, but I don't really know that that will help you. That's all you have to do. And so the next step is this for Christians that I just kind of talked about is we cannot corrupt the message. Don't corrupt the message. We know what our message is. All have sinned. That includes us. We're the worst sinners amongst people. Hey, hey, Again, it's the sick who need a doctor, not the well. And all we are is people who are sick, realizing that we need healing. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is anything that goes against the character, the teachings, or God himself. The wages of that sin is death. Because of that, we deserve to die. But there is this gift of grace that God wants to give freely to you, that he's given to me, that he's given to others. And he wants you to experience it as well. And through that gift, if you will confess those things that we called sins with your mouth and you will believe in your heart that Jesus died for you on a cross, then you can experience that salvation too. That's the message, but we cannot corrupt the message. Verse three through five it says for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We share because we care. It's simple. It sounds silly. We've probably seen it on a t-shirt that you could buy at CPO. But we share because we care. It's not eloquent. But in your life, it must be true. If your motives are anything else, you corrupt this message if we evangelize for any other reason then we corrupt our message here's the thing god cares about making people holy he does not care i shouldn't say it that way his goal is not to make them rich okay his goal is not to make them carefree. His goal is not to guarantee that they avoid suffering in this life. His goal is for them to know that they are loved. His goal is for them to know that they can be forgiven. His goal is for them to desire it. And His goal is for those of us who have been lucky enough to experience it, be the means from which others do. And time we are attaching the gospel to all these other things, to people's prosperity, to people's happiness, we corrupt the message. Because what happens when people commit their lives to Christ and then they don't get a raise and they don't get a new job and their financial situation not only doesn't get better, but it might get worse. What happens when people commit their lives to Christ and then all of a sudden they are still struggling with life and things are still tough and they still are experiencing illness and they're still experiencing pain and suffering in this world. They look at us and they think, well, they're full of, you know, what? We're not getting rich off this. This isn't an infomercial where people send three easy payments of twenty nine ninety five for our lamp of deliverance and then all of a sudden get to experience Christ. It's not like I'm bottling up little things of water in our utility closet. Come, buy our smoky water. You won't be able to see through it for four weeks once you shake it up, but it's fine. You guys drink it every Sunday. You Don't complain. We tie it to all these things that are fragile and have nothing to do with God. And then wonder why people look at us as if we're crazy, as if we're hypocrites. So we can't corrupt the message. Then we have to identify and clarify our motives. We should not be seeking to get rich, please people or receive praise. Verse six on, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of our lives, but the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. We must be rooted as Christians by care, by love, by community, and by labor. That is how we, ident- that, those are the motives we must identify. That is how we solidify our message. That is how we prevent ourselves from corrupting the message. We have to be rooted in care, in love, in community, and labor. Those are my motivations as a pastor. That's what I want people to experience from our church. I want them to be loved. I want them to know that they are cared for. I want them to experience community, not just a Sunday morning thing, not just a Wednesday night thing. I want us to live life together. We have to labor. We have to work. We have to toil. We have to put forth effort in order for these experiences to be had. I care for you, care for you. I want to know that you care for me. And I'm not saying that as, I don't think you care for me. I know you care for me, but I, I'm just explaining. When, When we share this message with people, I want them to know that I care for them. It would be fantastic if they would care for me. They don't have to accept my message to care for me. Right? But but I would love for them to care for me and I, I I live the life that I live because I love people. I could do other things. I could make more money. But those things they fade away. They don't matter. So I have cooler stuff. I'm still gonna die. What kind of impact? What kind of real impact, what kind of life-changing, life-altering impact can I make here on this earth? And I, I want to have community. I need you guys to know that when I tell you, hey, call me if you need anything. Text me if you need anything. Let me know if you need anything. Those aren't empty words. That's not just me fulfilling the pastor duty and saying the line. I mean it. If I can help you in some way, mow a yard, rake a a yard, right? Take out trash, haul stuff away, I'll do it. That to me is community. And those things are backed up by effort we have to put in the time. And I wanna do that to make things great inside these walls and outside these walls for God. For God. At the end of the day, we do this church for God. And so that others might experience God. It's why we put the investment into the online presence once COVID hit and keep it up today. It's why we have stuff like the church picnic and we say, literally, invite everyone. We want them to be able to experience what we all get to experience here together. And what is it that we are getting to experience? The grace of God, the love of God, the forgiveness that can only be obtained through Christ for sins that we have committed, for which we deserve death, but... We don't actually have to receive the consequences for because of Jesus. I could go on about this forever. I could say it in a million different ways, but I'm going to stop. Let today affect you. Let today affect you. Not my words. Guys, I'm, I try to be good at this. I don't know if I am good at this. That's not me fishing for compliments. Okay. I want to be clear. I don't know if I'm good at this, but I do know that what I preach about the things that I say, there is truth in scripture. There is truth in those words. And every Sunday when I preach and every Sunday when I'm, or every week when I'm working through sermon, I'm learning as much as hopefully you're learning and it's affecting my life as much as hopefully it's affecting your life. But let this stuff affect your life. Let it change the way you operate. Let it change the relationships that you have with people. Put Christ on the forefront of everything that you do. Because if we believe this, one day we will die, we know that. When we die, we will face our God and we will have to give an account for the way that we lived our life. And I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but there's part of me that thinks that God's going to open the book and be like, hmm, a lot of countless hours on the Xbox there, Paul. Right? Or you really spent four years of your life watching football. Did you know that? Oh, great. All I'm saying is that it is important to keep the main thing the main thing. It's the line my grandpa used to use often at church. All I know is that the main thing is that we should keep the main thing, the main thing. And God is the main thing. And if anything is getting in the way of him being our main thing, we need to remove it. I'm going to pray now. We're going to come up. We're going to worship a little bit more. And if you need to come speak with me, then by all means, please do that. Come pray with me. If you need to let me know about some situation that's happening, do that. If you need your yard raked or mowed or something hauled off, come see me. If you want to talk about what it means to have a relationship with Christ, absolutely do that. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are. Because of who you are, We get to experience a grace that we could never deserve. And the best part about it is that it's free. Because we can't deserve it, because we can't earn it, it had to be free. And you made it free. You made it free. At the end of the day, God, we can let so many things in this life Affect the way that we treat others. Affect the way that we treat ourselves. And it clouds our message. And in the end, it actually speaks against you rather than for you. And Lord, we don't want that. We don't want that. Help us to always remember that we don't have it all together. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is Christ. And yes, as we spend more and more time with you and, and as our relationship is strengthened and, and as we continue to dive into your word and, and, and to strengthen our prayer lives and and to learn more about you, we should change. It should affect us. We should be different people. But at our core, we are still sinners. May we never forget that. May we always love others with the goal of them getting to experience the grace that we have been freely given. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name, amen.